Welcome to the Wide Teams Podcast, the podcast for geographically dispersed teams and remote workers. Located on the web at wideteams.com and on Twitter at Wide Teams. This is episode 24. I'm your host, Avdi Grimm. In today's episode, I talk to Derek Wade. Derek is a collaboration expert and a team coach. I originally discovered Derek uh, via some presentation slides he put online. Uh, for a presentation called Building High-Gravity Distributed Teams. And uh, I thought that was an interesting title, and I, I found the slides intriguing. Uh, there were a lot of interesting concepts in there, and he had these exercises uh, that he had the the participants go through. Uh, so I knew I had to talk to him, and... Um, and it turned out to be a fascinating conversation. Uh, Derek is, is interesting and, and kind of unique in that he's really gone beyond the, the surface-level practicalities of distributed work uh, and spent a lot of time thinking about uh, the dynamics uh, of distributed teams and, uh, and the forces at work in them and, and just how to... Um, how to facilitate uh, communication coming about naturally rather than being forced. Um, so I, I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think I, I spent another like 20 minutes talking to him after the interview. Um, and, uh, and then distra- disaster struck. I discovered after the interview that, uh, that this interview, along with a couple of others, um, the one entire audio channel had been completely corrupted. So all of Derek's audio was intact, uh, but my own questions were completely lost. But uh, this was too good a conversation to throw away. Uh, so what I've done is I've gone through and I've done my best to reconstruct and overdub um, my own part of this conversation Um and uh, so if it if it sounds a little weird, a little stilted, uh, or just a little bit off, uh, that is why. So I apologize for the quality issues, uh, but thankfully I was able to salvage this interview, and uh, I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I did. Hey, this is Avdi Grimm with WideTeams.com, and I'm speaking today with Derek Wade. Derek, if you would, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure, absolutely. So uh, my name is Derek Wade. I'm uh, based in the Chicago, Illinois area, but uh, that's just home. I tend to kind of travel a lot. Uh, and uh, I'm currently disguised as a Agile coach, uh, But uh, so that would mean, you know, Things like uh, helping Scrum Masters and uh, XP teams and organizations that want to adopt Agile. But uh, really, that's just the sort of <laughs> popular veneer around uh, my passion is really helping people sort of, particularly in, in sort of rational uh, logical, uh, functional organizations, really develop their team um, thought so that uh, to kind of get the idea that uh, these these notions that uh, a team of people has its own personality identity and ability to reason and even team intuition 
that uh, a team kind of has its own gut. And uh, so I try to help develop that that head and gut sense um, in teams that I work with, uh, and uh, I do that generally in the context of Agile methods. Tell us a little bit about your history with distributed teams. Sure. Uh, well, it... Hmm, it I'd say, you know, if we kind of go back to the dark ages, there's been, you know, back in the late 90s, uh, I was doing a uh, multi-site, you know, multiple-site Canadian uh, USA project that had to do with some data warehousing initiatives. And uh, at the time, you know, I was fairly fresh out of college. I thought, oh, how cool. I get to go sit in a video conference room, you know, four hours a day and uh, look at grainy, blurry images of other people. Um, But I thought it was kind of interesting in the sense of there was this notion of connection and multiple people in different locations working on something together. Um, it, it was a pretty command and control project, and um, please forgive me if I use a little agile jargon here. I'll try not to, but it was uh, a sort of a standard IT managed project with a master project plan that was then segmented out by site, and the way to coordinate these different people was to use a a very heavily plan and control method whereby the master plan separated out to these five other sites was distributed out to these other groups who then would sort of work on it um, somewhat slavishly and we would connect every now and then to find out what progress there was and what what problems there were and hopefully uh, pretend that nothing new had changed Um, so you know go about uh, eight, nine years later, and uh, I had pretty thoroughly embraced uh, agile disciplines such as uh, Scrum, XP, a uh, little bit of, of Crystal, and uh, these were project management methodologies, or if you'd like, outcome management methodologies that really emphasized, emphasized the innate ability of people to do the right thing without really having to be told how to do it. And if we can do a couple of things, one, uh, work in rapid cycles of work a little, inspect a little, work a little, inspect a little, maybe we can really reduce the amount of ceremony that we have to have in the planning up front. And the other aspect is if we can communicate with each other and in some degree um, the, the kind of jargon phrase is radiate our information to each other so that that when I am having encountering a problem with some particular third party system, I don't have to notify other people and describe my problem to some degree. The very act of my my wrestling with that third party system should to some degree be obvious to my peers. Um, if we were all working in a room together, they should be able to tell by my annoyed grunts and expletives and that sorts of thing. Uh, but uh, doing that distributedly, um, I've had uh, kind of two major projects uh, in the past uh, two, three years that have where we had uh, one was a, a mapping initiative that involved uh, developers, software developers across uh, multiple locations in the U.S. Uh, and the EU. And uh, we were running uh, as an agile team 
And uh, one of the first things I noticed was that even though they were running as a quote-unquote adult team, that it was that same old project from the 90s all over again. Uh, and the uh, other one had to do with sort of a, a healthcare uh, site, and again, developers. But in this case, it was developers and creatives and artists and uh, web people and marketing sorts. Uh, and not only were they distributed across location, but they were, if you'd like, they were distributed in in they were they were distant, dispersed in terms of their background and culture. And how could we get them to kind of pull in one direction and yet work together and leverage the power of, of humans to do the right thing? So uh, uh, that's what I did. And uh, some of it had to do with tools, but I think more of it had to do with kind of a mindset with how I approach distribution. Now, there are some who would say that distributed teams and agile methods just don't go together. What about you? Um, is agility compatible with having a dispersed team? I'd say they're kind of orthogonal. Um, you 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 can have one or the other. I mean, you can have uh, both. Um, Agile kind of likes people to be together because it really depends on low ceremony, low documentation, uh, and uh, high personal interaction. Um, and until, I'd say, you know, about four years ago or so, three, four years ago, uh, the rule was if you're doing Agile, everybody's in the same room. No ifs, ands, or buts. If you're split out, you're not doing Agile. Um, reality has since spoken up and uh, has says that, that you know, the fact is, is we've got offshoring, nearshoring, you know, uh, telework, all this kind of thing. So how, how can we make Agile work? Um, and I have seen Agile work very, very well with uh, distributed teams, and I have seen it work very, very badly. Uh, to the other counterpoint, if you want to use a very heavily waterfall method uh, and uh, you want to uh, uh, go ahead and, and pull out that project plan and just kind of have everybody march to it, you can do that with people in a room or you can do that with people in a distributed sense. The one uh, arena, one way in which I think that Agile actually gives you a little bit of an edge in distributed teams is that you get a detection mechanism. So you get to find out more rapidly that your teams have drifted out of sync. You get to find out more quickly that um, local pressures are affecting the teams and that the teams can correct uh, more quickly, more often, and with usually smaller corrections than are needed in a kind of a large design upfront project. Now, I first became aware of your work through a presentation that I found online called High Gravity Distributed Teams. And I was intrigued by some of the concepts that were presented in that. Uh, would you talk a little bit about that presentation? Uh, sure. It's a, it's a, <laughs> so in a nutshell, basically it says uh, that uh, uh, di distribution uh, is more than distance. And if you think of distribution only as distance, you're kind of out of luck because all you're going to try to do is to reduce the distance. And you will try to reduce the distance through various means, um, through uh, connecting people together better, giving them more communication tools, um, tools, tools, tools. Let's give them more tools until uh, the, the team is drowning in tools. And uh, this actually grew out of uh, a uh, white paper that, uh, or an article, actually, for the... Uh, 
what was it, the Agile Journal that uh, a friend of mine and I uh, wrote because we had been on this uh, distributed Agile uh, project together, this enterprise distributed Agile project. And uh, we were saying, you know, to me, I was just doing on the project what made sense at the time. And he said, you don't understand. You changed our lives. It was a lot more fun. So I thought, well, that's very complimentary, but I think you're just being nice. He said, no, no, I want to write a paper. Okay. All right, Scott, we'll write a paper. So we wrote a paper. We got submitted. Um, and uh, I was surprised to see the reaction uh, from people as I started exploring some of these concepts that that anything from very rarely, oh, of course distribution is more than distance, to I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, so the... the uh, the deck basically came about as a result of I was recently asked to come do a little talk for uh, a, a company that was basically creating its own agile conference, and uh, the I said, okay, fine. What would you like to talk about? And they said, well, how about something on distributed teams? So, sure, no problem. That's that's one of my passions. So uh, basically, the idea is is that if you if you really think of of Distribution, that is to say, whether a team is distributed or not, or how distributed or dispersed they are. Uh, if you strictly think of it in geographical terms, you're kind of missing half the picture, uh, because there's, there's how far apart the team members are in terms of, whether, are they in the same office? Are they in different cubes? Are they on different floors? Are they in different cities? Are they in different continents? Are they in different time zones? But worse than that, there's, there's, no matter how physically far they are, uh, what kind of pressures detach them from each other? So even if I'm two cubes away from my teammate, if she and I are actually part-time on two separate projects, and the one that we are uh, working together on is fairly minor for her, and the other one that she's working on is extremely critical, time sensitive, and and you know she's cut her boss coming in and, and uh, demanding status. We are actually a little more separated than than maybe someone that uh, I'm dedicated full time with, uh, you know, in Canada. So we look at I, I look at this notion of of distribution as having kind of two. Uh, Components, if you will, if distribution is a vector, it has two uh, uh, components to as a, to create the resultant force. And one is the separation that we were just talking about: physical, local pressures. Uh, how how much how synchronous are we? Uh, and the other, um, I've I've called either gravity or sometimes cohesion, which is what unifies the team. What increases the team's focus? What actually helps take the individual attention of all the team members and attracts their attention toward the outcome of the project? And if you play with both of those, you start realizing that um, we don't just have to give people tools. We don't just have to have people do video conferencing all the time. We don't just have to make sure that everyone sends an email before you do a code commit or before you uh, uh, update the website or something like that. But you start thinking, how can I actually cause each individual member to have a shared internal mental model of the other team's work? 
that lists in their that sort of lives in their head, and it's a, a little. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't know, maybe a little bit Borg-like if you if you uh, don't mind the analogy. It's a it's a. You know, and, and this is one of these things that I've kind of been struggling with to explain is because you start getting a little bit into cognitive science and how people think and the notion of what happens when, when communication breaks down with a wrong mental model. But uh, um, I, I could go on, but I think I probably shouldn't. So uh, have you have you done any you know investigation of with, uh, with teams who are not just, for example, work, distributed work, but distributed learning? I haven't yet, but I, uh, I recently I met someone who's involved in a virtual charter school, and I'm really interested in getting an interview with her. Excellent. So, so the the uh, the uh, e-learning and the uh, uh, what used to be called distance learning and what's now kind of e-learning and the the sort of new learning models. Uh, I look at this stuff a lot. And uh, um, some of the this this one of these concepts that I've used with a, a remote team was to use, for example, um, the team was already using a particular tool, a wiki, but they weren't using it as a way to share mental models, a way to take their their thought processes and get them out of their heads and not just try to transmit their thought processes back and forth via email, but instead, Get it out of their heads and onto this shared workspace. Um, and I actually took some of the the team was actually, this team was actually emailing Excel spreadsheets around, and it was the same Excel spreadsheet, and they were all just kind of emailing it around with their latest hours worked and what tasks they were working on. And of course, the first thing that any you know the first thing that that you know uh, James in Boston would do when he got his tasks is when he got the spreadsheet is he would filter it to hide everything except his tasks, and he'd start working on his tasks, and then he'd unfilter it and send it off to the rest of the team. And I realized. Okay, they're all working on the same project, but there's no way to tell. How, how would you, how would you even know that they're working on the same project? They don't know that they're working on the same project. So I took the spreadsheet and the contents of it and basically put it up in an easy to edit form on the wiki. And I mean, this is just one example of taking that that information that was currently being in transmitted mode and instead put it in a sort of a uh, a landscape. Uh, interactive uh, virtual war room mode where they could each, instead of having to transmit information to each other, they could publish, subscribe to this particular page on the wiki. And then anytime anybody did work, uh, it became transparently obvious that that other people were doing work. And anytime anyone had a problem, it became transparently obvious. And within about um, you know two to three months, the team literally, their information exchange just in terms of the amount that they transmitted received anywhere went down by maybe half and yet their awareness and effectiveness and focus was more than doubled just in terms of their self-report of how they felt about how they were focused so just by taking that info and moving it from a transmission model and putting it out into a shared space where they could work uh, uh, had a great effect so then Years later, I find out about um, 
a fellow named Itil Drawer who does some of his cognitive studies, and he sort of coined the term um, distributed cognition, that it's not just distributed work, distributed projects, but it's actually that the team as a whole functions like a set of uh, distributed processing nodes to collectively think uh, and then Jay Cross uh, is is doing a lot of stuff with what he calls uh, uh, workscapes and learnscapes and how can you create a a, uh, um, a virtual arena for people to to share all this kind of information. So the concepts are out there and everybody's arriving at it sort of independently, but it's a little cutting edge. And the problem I think is that not everybody is arriving at it. One of the issues I see with distributed teams is that whereas a co-located team can have a whiteboard on the wall and sticky notes and have these these information radiators that everybody can you know, can't really can't avoid seeing, um, you know, in a in a distributed team you're dependent on the tools and that means that uh, you know people have to actually look in the tools uh, to find stuff out. Uh, do you have any thoughts on on making that work better? Right, absolutely. That's a really good point. And and the problem is that when you've got a really nice big visible chart or something that's that's physically present with you in the room, it's acting on parts of your brain that are extremely old, and so it grabs your attention, uh, and and thus it radiates the information. Um, and so many of these tools are really not information radiators, but maybe. The, the joke is they're information refrigerators. We put stuff in there and hope that it stays fresh, and then one day open it up and realize, oh, it's actually gone bad. Um, so, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think you can't get people to pay attention to information that's in a tool. Uh, it has to really depend upon individuals' intrinsic motivation. that They have to want to pay attention to it. So part of that is there has to be an extremely low barrier to access. And uh, literally, you know, with wikis, if it's if it's uh, like a you know an open group, uh, we'll try to make it so that it's literally if there has to be you know one password and you're into the whole thing. And from then on, it doesn't matter. There's no there's no further sign in. There's no further work to do. You just start editing. Um, Number two, it has to be pertinent. So the information that's there, it shouldn't just be what Avdi's working on in his own private little personal task list and the fact that he uh, you know, can't get gems to build uh, on this project that actually has nothing to do with me. Um, it should be something that, that the problems that Avdi's having um, could be problems that I might have soon or that I'm having. Um, and the way around that is that uh, that's when you really start needing things like um, uh, number one uh, if you already have an existing thing that we're building if you and I are working together on a uh, and we have already been working together for a month and we've been committing code for uh, uh, and, and building every day and then part of what's where you and I are going to always be interested in is the state of the build and the latest commits so I'm going to be curious as to what you've been doing. No one has to tell me to go do it. Uh, I'm pulled because it has to do with work that you and I share. Um, other ways, I think, include uh, if you if you have uh, uh, information that is fairly central and doesn't require a whole lot of navigating and querying, um, 
you generally le- need less information than you think uh, because if we're you know working on this code if we're working on this system and you and I are already synchronizing based upon our commits and who wrote what method and who touched what class and um, you know uh, what XML file just changed you and I are already interested because we want to see the thing live and walk and talk and breathe and um, become the next web 2.0 startup Um, but if it's status tracking and time tracking and a lot of that metric kind of stuff that someone seems to think is important but that you and I really don't care because you and I are fundamentally motivated to make this thing live um, we're not going to pay attention to it and then it just becomes an electronic version of did you get your cover sheet on your TPS report Absolutely, and the way to find that, and then this is an area where agile methods uh, come in hand in hand. Is that the way to find that out? Is that if you are using something like Scrum, um, you find that out with every retrospective. What 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 didn't work well? Oh, I was uh, there was that time that uh, uh, turned out that. Uh, 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 Jerry was fighting over and over with this class library, and uh, all she had to do was ask me, and I would have been able to say, uh, oh, actually, you need to upgrade to the next one. But we didn't find that out. Oh, hmm, how might we find that out? Uh, well, one way to do it might be, and then at this point, the team is really inventing their own protocols. They're inventing their own uh, ways to share. And as you as a coach of distributed teams can then start saying things like, well, let's not send an email. Let's not transmit that. Let's, let's maybe have a little place on our shared information radiator of latest library in use. What do you think of that? Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Do you find that the best tools for these kinds of information radiators are the, the really free form tools? Uh, because it seems like uh, a lot of the tools out there for managing projects are really fixed in their workflow. Yes, and and they're fixed because they're based upon best practices and everybody knows that they've spent a lot of money doing R&D and and it doesn't matter how your team works, this is correct. And in fact, I think the simplest and the most open and the most hackable by the team is going to be far more um, productive because the team will actually evolve the tool to suit their way of working. Uh, yeah, that's right. So if you really want to shut this stuff down, um, you know, get a big integrated uh, tool that uh, has a lot of bells and whistles. And um, by the way, any change to it requires that you contact an admin. And uh, that'll pretty much ensure that the team will start using other methods like email or IM and uh, will fragment. Uh, but uh, things like um, Oh, card meeting. It's just literally, it's index cards that you can move around on a page. Things like, you know, any kind of wiki that once you, you know, protect it for any kind of proprietary reasons, you make it utterly open and utterly editable, editable, uh, with appropriate revision controls so that if someone wants to revert, they can. Um, you know, things like, uh, uh, just you know, personal local client monitors on the status of the build. You know, kind of the equivalent of the lava light. Of if the build's passing or failing on everyone's desktop, um, and the last thing I think is really useful is um, the equivalent of a of a sort of a chatter room, like uh, like like IRC. Uh, I see a lot of teams using uh, Campfire by Thirty Seven Signals for that. 
Sure. That, yep, that I think that's a great one. It's nice. Uh, the only thing is, you know, eventually people start kind of throwing a whole bunch of docs up there, and then you're like, wait, 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 where do we really want those to go? But, yeah, no, I love being able to come back and uh, what's happened around the campfire since the last time I was there. There are various types of communication that a distributed team can have, everything from, from emails to uh, Twitter-style status messages to campfire chats, uh, documents. Uh, have you identified certain patterns of communication that seem to work well for distributed teams? Uh, yes. And, you know, I want to be really cautious with, uh, you know, recommending patterns. Uh, so what I can say is that I have observed patterns emerge repeatedly in different teams. And one is the temporary scrolling by stuff, um, which needs to be somewhat ephemeral and once it's scrolled by and it's no longer relevant who cares it's gone it's just like speech it's evaporated um the other is this notion of uh, and the best i can really describe it is the idea of like a shared whiteboard that it's a place where people can get their thoughts move things around interact spatially ideally spatially is incredibly easy to edit uh, is is incredibly low ceremony, and it has almost as much structure as a, right, a whiteboard, which is to say none. And the team can use it however they see fit and can refactor it and that kind of thing. Um, and then thirdly, there tends to be, you know, kind of last and, and least, a repository, a place where people say, you know what, this is actually a good doc. Let's kind of archive this off or let's uh, make a particular link to this page and then lock this page because it's uh, it's actually a really good reference uh, to hand out uh, in the future, that kind of thing. So information does have these kind of three um you know, uh, larval, uh, pupa, uh, adult forms, I guess, and it's important to be aware of, of what kind of information is moving around and to not force teams into, into one or the other. One of the things I found most intriguing about this presentation you did was the exercises that you had the participants uh, go through. Would you talk a little bit about those? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, uh, so... We talked a little bit before about the idea of, you know, shifting your mind away from the communication model of, I have a particular frame of reference, I transmit my concern or message or request to my friend Avdi, who has a different frame of reference, and he interprets it either correctly or slightly in a distorted way. And then we have to repeat that several times while we synchronize our frames of reference. Uh, and... The alternative that I gave to that was we talked a little bit about the workscape or the learnscape, this kind of notion of a, of a, a, an actual auxiliary brain, if you will, that you've got your thoughts and you make them very visible on this electronic whiteboard. I've got my thoughts and I make them very visible on this whiteboard. And as you and I interact with those thoughts in real time, we are synchronizing our our um, frames of reference much more rapidly and almost in that sense working as a distributed node as opposed to a sequential sense. So these two games that I set up were basically uh, they were uh, card sorting uh, and it was I gave uh, this group that I was speaking to uh, a couple of decks of cards and their product was um winning poker hands and all they had to do was to gather the cards and work together and and, and create some 
some uh, five of a kind, some uh, full houses, uh, you know, that kind of thing, um, straight flushes, that kind of thing. And we ran it twice. And the first time basically was to kind of force a communication model. So there were multiple teams and if the players needed information, so the constraint is essentially is that each team has cards. Each team would like to make good poker hands. Um, each team has cards that they don't need, and each team has uh, needs cards that they don't have. So we essentially forced a communication model that if you need a card or if you have a card, you uh, handle draw through the other teams, through a moderator who will help ensure a smooth flow of communication. Um, and it was amazing to see not just that their overall productivity in making hands was lowered, but some hypotheses that I'd had based upon observing teams is that the teams actually started hiding information from each other. Because although I never once said that you're in competition, and in fact I even said you all win based upon how many hands you all create, they actually started competing against each other. And we're getting things like, hey, get him out of here. He's a spy. Um, so the the round two um, was I provided a shared workspace. And um, I might be able to post a picture of that. I haven't actually put it up, but I, I do have a photograph that I took of. of instead, I had a table. And instead of transmitting cards and transmitting requests from table to table and team to team, there was one table, and I just laid out something very, very simply. And I had team one, two, three, four, and an area at each section, team one, two, three, four, an area for hands that we have created and discards that we're not interested in, and allowed people to work at this shared workspace. And they, although... Uh, um, it wasn't a truly distributed simulation because everyone was in all, the whole room. They got to see very rapidly the difference between working with a, a communication transmission model, even if they were in the same room, versus a shared space model, even if they were, they were in the same room. So um, we saw some, I think I saw some minds kind of shift at that and think, how can we start using our tools to create shared space rather than to simply use it for transmission of information? I don't know how clear that is without kind of showing the pictures, but maybe that gives you some idea. Do you have any advice that you would give to a group that's going to be working as a distributed team for the first time? Oh, um, yes. <laughs> uh, but you're, you're thinking specifically, like, you know, can we distill it down to uh, a couple of, of key maxims? <laughs> yeah, I, I would. Uh, I think... Um, uh, Number one, uh, be aware that that distribution is more than a function of distance and thus resist the temptation to over-control your team in an effort to bring them closer together. Um, number two, seek out, detect, and avoid uh, transmission models in exchange for shared workspace models wherever you get the opportunity to. And we talked about some characteristics of good um, uh, shared workspace tools. Uh, and number three, um, really, really, really avoid um, dictating or imposing or quote-unquote helping the team uh, by providing them with tools or methods um, 
you can go so much farther um, with teams by asking what works for them and helping them discover what works for them rather than imposing something. Um, and doing that has two effects. One, it lets them evolve the right thing for them. And also, it, it, by choosing how they're going to work, they're actually engaging in an activity of co-creation, which actually helps unify the team. So I guess those would be the, the three. Before we go, uh, where can people find you online? And are there any other uh, projects or sites that you'd like to tell people about? Um, well, uh, sure. I think uh, completely unrelated to me, uh, if people are interested in this sort of thing, uh, uh, in particular, I'd highly recommend that uh, everybody go check out the hashtag uh, uh, pound sign learn chat, L-R-N-C-H-A-T. And it's a Twitter chat that happens, uh, I think, twice a week. And it's uh, kind of that that future of learning that we were talking about. And these people are, because of the focus on e-learning, I think are really looking at some, uh, very intelligently at some of these notions that I've found uh, purely through experience. Um, you know, in terms of personal stuff, you're certainly welcome to visit uh, DerekWA.net, uh, where I blog infrequently, um, uh, at DerekWA on Twitter, where I, uh, I try to update uh, any notes or uh information on this and from that you can get to the various slides and slide shares that pop out um, but uh, uh, I think that if people are, are looking for distributed and they're bearing in mind kind of workspace models instead of um, communication models people will be pretty easily able to determine for themselves am I being uh, sold another tool or is this something that might actually help my teams get a little more cohesion Derek thank you so much for your time Oh, my pleasure, Avdi. It's uh, been real good talking with you, and I think it's great work that you're doing getting this stuff out into the world. Thanks for listening to the Wide Teams podcast. Please visit us on the web at wideteams.com to leave feedback and enjoy more articles, screencasts, and conversations about dispersed teams. The Wide Teams podcast is a service of ShipRise LLC and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. Our music is by Giles Boquette. Until next time, this is Avdi Grimm signing off. Wild, 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 wild,